Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner uh, in sunny Cincinnati, Tuesday, March 28th, 2.08 p.m. ET, live on YouTube. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening, really appreciate you guys joining the show. Catch an early buzz. Can we talk a little bit about the Kyle Hamilton stuff? Mm-hmm. Draft Twitter has gone full circle on him. Kyle Hamilton's like this number one overall player. He's a top three player no matter what. I can't miss prospect. One of the most complete safety prospects we've ever seen. Now I'm seeing some analysts, Brett Coleman, one of them, who is is someone that's really high on Christian Watson, who's been in the draft Twitter space for a while, saying he's not even, you know, a first round player. You know, some people are seeing him as a second day, you know, day two type of guy. Some people are copying him to J. Ron Curse. Has have we gone too far? Has the analysis gone too far? And is there reason to believe Kyle Hamilton isn't a top five player in this class? I don't know if there's like it's obviously I the beholder. I, I I stay firm despite his speed not being electric or whatever, you know, not being up to snuff. I, I think you still have GPS data that says he's pretty damn fast at top speed. And, and that's obviously fairly important for safety. Maybe his form and whatnot in the 40 just isn't up to snuff. But to me, his testing numbers remind me a lot of Justin Simmons coming out of Boston College because he ran a 4.61, but he jumped 40 inches and had a 10.6 broad jump and had a 6.583 cone. Like everything else is great, but it just didn't have straight line speed. And then you get in the NFL, and I don't think the Broncos give a damn what his 40 is at this point in terms of how he plays the game. And Jamal Adams ran the high four or fives coming out. Like a lot of safeties, it's not necessarily that pure top-end speed that matters most to that position. So I'm not too worried if you want to knock him down because of that. I mean, by all means, like that's your prerogative. It's not a, val- a high-value position. It's not like one where you want it. You have to chase at the top of the draft to find one. So like the difference between him, if you are saying top five pick, if you are saying Detroit Lions number two, Texans number three, him and maybe Jaquan Brisker that you can get in the second round, is it that big a gap? Is it as big a gap as the tackle class? Probably not, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, we say he's the unquestioned top safety, but the difference between tackle one in this class and tackle seven is what you're probably going to get top second round is pretty damn big. Whereas safety one, and it might even be safety two at the top of the second round they're getting, isn't as big as that gap. So, yeah, I can see that. I can see being off him as a pure top five kind of guy. If you're off him as a good NFL player entirely, I just don't think you've watched it. I, just, I think you're valuing athletic testing more so than you are the tape. And, and like I said, even his athletic testing is pretty damn good. Four five nine forty yard dash at the combine also had a thirty eight inch vertical jump and over thirty one hundred thirty one inches on the broad six nine three cone four three two short shuttle. You know, right now we have him as what a top five player on PFF's draft board. I think a lot of people see him as a top five, top ten pick. But DraftKings Sportsbook fading this idea that he's going to be a top ten pick. I think right now you can bet over eight and a half. So saying he's not going to be drafted inside the first eight picks at minus one thirty, minus one thirty five, sliding after. You know, athletic testing that maybe people... No, not even athletic testing. Just like 40. 40. 40. Yeah, like just people 40. expected him to have a higher 40. He does not. 4, 5, 9, 40-yard dash at the combine. But still, the explosive testing, the 38 vertical jump, and the one three one broad jump, I still think are really impressive. And the tape is really impressive, which, again, it comes back to, wait a second. Does the combine and pro days and all these things like slide players down? Are we overvaluing that piece? I will say, though... Do you remember Jim Nagy, who's the director of the Senior Bowl, Reese's Senior Bowl? Remember when he had that tweet saying that Louis, Louis Seen of Georgia could be the safety one in this class? And someone, are you, are you serious? Are you forgetting Kyle Hamilton? He kind of doubled down and said, who are you talking to? Louis Seen could be the safety one in this class. I do think that there are a lot of signs based off 
I think from that Nagy tweet, and also now you see some people souring on him, whatever, I think there could, and now that the draft prop is falling past eight and a half, that the league could be lower on him than the media. That's like 100% possible with this slide. And I think some of the best analysis I've heard about the draft, I think, came from Daniel Jeremiah or Bucky Brooks saying, risers and fallers, especially in this part of the year where you're not seeing more tape and you're past the senior bowl are oftentimes a media driven component, right? Where the media is significantly higher on Kayvon Thibodeau, but the league is lower on him, right? Significantly higher on Kyle Mm -hmm. Hamilton, but the league is lower on Kyle Hamilton. I think that's honestly the slide that we're seeing with Hamilton. Not so much. um, I push back. People are pushing down, pushing Hamilton down boards. I push back on the league though, as a whole, because they're all different too. Like people using the league, it's more, it's more the league as in there are people out there that don't have that high a grade on him, probably. Mm-hmm. And then once you have fewer Specifically teams, those picking in the top eight, right? And that's the thing. It's like once you have fewer teams with that high evaluation on them, the chances of one of those being at the top of the draft, because the top of the draft is so um, crowded, I'll say, like in terms of like there's a lot of good players, maybe not a lot of elite players, but a lot of good players in this class that all it takes is one in one position. So you have to find you know, pair the fit with the need with the player. And when you have a lot, you have some people saying, you know, maybe not as many consensus opinions of him as top five pick. If a lot of those not consensus opinions of him as top five picks, people that see him as maybe more of a mid to late first guy are drafting the top 10. Chances are he's not going to go top 10. Yeah. All right. Talking more about, the latest update to Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft or, or, or uh, top 50, which I think is a really good, in addition to being Daniel Jeremiah's opinion, I also think it's a really good reflection of where scouts see players or the average opinion of the league. I think you're right to push back on the league, though, right? It's like the league is lower on him. It's more like the, you know, the team specifically drafting at the yeah. top probably don't have high grades on him compared to others, whatever. With Daniel Jeremiah, where I want to start is the Kayvon Thibodeau discussion. And I think I wrongfully on Monday's podcast said that he had him as the number one overall player. He didn't, never had him in the highest that Kayvon Thibodeau ever was on Daniel Jeremiah's big board, which his first one was February 1st, was sixth. He did have him as edge two. Now, no football being played. Obviously, a combine where we only saw him run the 40 and do bench press. He's now no longer edge two. He is edge four. Jermaine Johnson, who was originally a 20th-ranked player, is now ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau. And Trayvon Walker, who is the 15th-ranked player, is now ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau as well. We've seen dramatic rises, dramatic rises from Jermaine Johnson and Trayvon Walker in this pre-draft process. For Johnson, a lot of that is tied to the Senior Bowl. He goes to the Senior Bowl, dominates for the first two days of practice, is highlighted as one of those best contributors. And he doesn't even practice the day three or play in the game because he was so talented, you know, because he impressed so much and his agents obviously advised him against doing anything further to risk injury. With Walker, so much of this, I think, is not necessarily the media catching up on Trayvon Walker. Maybe it is the media catching up on Trayvon Walker, not realizing that the production concerns are a lot of that's tied to role and just like not having the snap count that other players have at the top of this edge class. And then obviously he goes to the combine and it ignites it, right? I think has arguably a better combine than Jordan Davis, right? It's neck and neck with what Jordan Davis did. So right now, Kayvon Thibodeau is the 10th ranked player on his board behind Aiden Hutchinson at one, um, Trayvon Walker at six, and Jermaine Johnson at nine. Kayvon Thibodeau, edge four. Your reaction to, one, Trayvon Walker and Jermaine Johnson rising as much as they have in this process, and are you buying into that? And two, Kayvon Thibodeau now, from February 1st to March 27th, falling from edge two to edge four uh, on the board here. I do, yeah, I'm buying Walker is going high. Mm-hmm. I mean, an athlete like that doesn't come around, you know, every year. Like it's not even every. It's five a years. unique. It's a unique 
situation that he's that athletic, that big, that physical, and played on a line where it's like he didn't get to be featured because, I mean, there's a lot of parallels to Rashawn Gary. He graded out even worse, though, than Rashawn Gary did mm-hmm. his last year at Michigan. We talked about Rashawn Gary's production and why it was like question marks about him and why wasn't he as productive. And Trayvon Walker isn't even to that level. But, again, it's a case-by-case basis when you look at guys like this and when you're on a line with four other first-rounders. Honestly, the best pass rusher on that line we're not even talking about, and it's Adam Anderson because he's been charged with rape at Georgia. and isn't even He's still in this draft, but um, he was their best edge rush for most of the season. He was one of the guys that gets featured on that line. So you have a super talented defensive line, so I can excuse away some production concerns. I still will lean towards the guys you've seen rush the passer at all at a high level. Like Drafting a Trayvon Walker like this is – how Solomon Thomas went third overall. I mean, and Solomon Thomas is a comparable size, speed, whatever athlete. Now, Trayvon Walker, to a different degree, he is more athletic. The athletic testing is better, but that was why Solomon Thomas rose back, whatever was that, 2017, maybe? 16? 16. Mm-hmm. So it's like those guys go highly. So when a guy blows up the combine like that, yes, I'm buying the rise. I, I, I do think it's for real. And, and then Jermaine Johnson's rise is actually, I mean, warranted. Like on the football, f- we talk about. Yeah, it's pre-draft process, but that's at the Senior Bowl is football still. Like, going through the drills the way he did, dominating the way he did. And honestly, I pushed back on the whole narrative that he was completely unblockable. He, he did not win every single rep there. He was the, uh, the most unblockable guy that we could practice to me was Devontae Wyatt, if you go, going back and watching. But he was pretty damn close. He, he was very, very damn good. And to test the way he did athletically at the Combine, that's, that's a good pre-draft process. And even if I still am lower on him than the consensus, I can see why that would be pushing him up. Other takeaways from Daniel Jeremiah's latest top 50 big board. I would encourage you to check it out on NFL.com. Also follow him on Twitter at move the sticks. Chris Olave and Jamison Williams are wide receiver two and wide receiver three behind Garrett Wilson, who has as a top five player in this class, the wide receiver one, but they've both risen up 10 spots. You've got Drake league. London, wide receiver two. Or Drake London is wide receiver two, excuse me, as the eighth ranked player on his draft board. Wide receiver three and wide receiver four are Chris Olave and Jamison Williams. I guess speak to that stacking and where, where you see this receiver class comparatively. Garrett Wilson one, Drake London two, a little bit of a gap than Chris Olave and Jamison Williams is this wide receiver three. Well, and I think it's more four. interesting that he, is kind of bumped him all the way up. Yeah. Like he's seeing, went from seeing, I think kind of the class the way bumped I them did. all the way up and then burks down seven full spots. Well, it's it's just in terms of how they're ranked on the board. You got five, 18, or five, eight as wide receivers one and two. So those are like blue chip type of valuations of where they're, where you would take a guy like that. And then 16 and 17 for wide receivers three and four with Olave and Williams. So seeing the class as four guys for the top 17 players in this class at wide receiver is, again, probably a little rich for me in terms of how, how talented I think this receiver class is compared to maybe the last couple in terms of top-end talent. But I do think these guys are all very good. I, I'm not sure I see any surefire ones like I saw last year that I know this guy's going to come in outside of Drake London. But even he is not your prototypical number one type of wide receiver like the Jamar Chase is not going to look like that whatsoever so he's high in this class higher than I am on this class of wide receivers but I do think they all to a degree have high floors in a way whether it's Williams just unbelievable speed Olave's just NFL readiness as a route runner London's ball skill size and then Garrett Wilson just 
natural ability. So I do like that top four. I like that top four a lot. And I see the same way. I'm glad that he has Burks now as a distant five (laughs) because I just don't – I didn't think the – the reason he was five, or I believe he's six now on the PFF board, is just the assuredness of what he's going to be at the next level. I'm not sure what it's Mm -hmm. going to look like when he gets to the league, what role he's going to play, whereas the other guys, I feel pretty confident projecting them. Yeah, I, I was going to mention the Burks slide as well. I think I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one that doesn't see Burks as the wide receiver one or wide receiver two in this class. I think a lot of people are really, really high on Traylon Burks. Another slide that I think we all saw coming after the combine was Kenyon Green, the interior offensive lineman from Texas A&M. Had a middle of the pack, if not below average, combine performance. That dropping him seven spots on Daniel Jeremiah's big board. I think we can buy into that. Your guy. K-Dub the third, Kenneth Walker going from unranked on his top 50 to 31st, right behind Brees Hall as the RB2. I think that's uh, a sign that he's watched some of the Kenneth Walker tape and is vaulting him up in that same tier, that top 32 tier that you've spoke to really this entire pre-draft process. I think I said that right before when, when his very first rankings came out, when he had Isaiah Spiller running back one. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like the 2-2 Atwell the year prior where I was like, you know, I think that's going to change. I think DJ's going to go back, check some more tape. And I don't think that's going to be the case by the end. Isaiah Spiller's not even in his top 50. No, he's fallen completely out of his top 50. Completely out of his top 50. So Isaiah Spiller also had some rough testing numbers. Testing numbers that would be very difficult to buy into his top 32 running back type of – top 32 pick at running back. But but I'm glad that he's putting some respect on Brees Hall and Kenny Walker's names because – those are two. I've said it a zillion times. Those guys are damn good running backs. They're finally getting in the tier there with ranked 29th and 31st, respectively, on DJ's board. That it's like now we don't rank them that highly because again we're not yeah in the market of drafting running backs that highly. But if you do, if you're setting your board up the way pretty much everyone else in the fucking world sets their board up, that's where you should be having the running backs in this class. Two monster, not monster, but significant slides in his latest update as well. Tyler Linderbaum falling 10 spots from 22 to 32 in his top 50. And then also Kyler Gordon, probably mm-hmm. the biggest fall outside of Isaiah Spiller, the Texas A&M running back falling outside of his top 50 is Kyler Gordon, the Washington cornerback falling all the way, 17 spots down to 37, five foot 11, 194. Yeah, he has 31 inch arms, which is clearing a threshold for a lot of teams, but still just a four, five, two, 40 yard dash and a one, five, nine, 10 yard split for Kyler Gordon. Those are not. Yeah. the numbers that people expected from an undersized corner, right? They were expecting McDuffie and Kyler Gordon to be these freaky athletes and, and test significantly better than they did, especially on that fast track in Indy. I thought McDuffie tested fine, didn't he? He ran mid-4-4s. Mid-4-4s, yeah. That's, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, so. I'm saying they expected McDuffie and Gordon to both be these oh, like, okay. insane athletes. I mean, talking to McDuffie, he said Kyler Gordon's more athletic than me, and yeah. running a one five nine ten 10 yard split at 194 is not going to get it done. Yeah, so I... I was never super high, like that high on Gordon. So this, the fall, he had him 20th prior. That fall, fall falls more in line. Said fall way too many times there in a row with where I see Kyler Gordon. Something I'm surprised by, because I thought we saw Tyler Smith getting consistently mocked at the back end of first rounds going to be more of a consistent thing. He actually had Tyler Smith falling 11 spots, 241 on his top 50, and another um, uh, major fall being David Ajabo. Those are kind of the two last major falls, but David Ajabo falling due to injury, obviously. He goes from he goes yeah. to a full 29 spots. Still a top 50 player on his board with the injury consideration, but still falls 29 spots. Last few things I hear on the Daniel Jeremiah top 50 update. Sky Moore now a top 50 player, 44th on his draft board, and Christian Watson now a top 50 player, who is, by the way, Chris Sims, number two wide receiver in the class. I think he mm. sees it as his... Well, can, do you, did you see Chris Sims' wide receiver rankings? 
I did. He I did. sees it, Chris Sims, who you cannot discredit at this point. This guy watches a ton of tape, and he has adverse opinions to the media usually. But he has Jamison Williams of Alabama 1, Christian Watson, North Dakota State 2, and then Alec Pierce of Cincinnati as his third-ranked receiver. No Ohio State receiver in his top five. Not Garrett Wilson, not Chris Olave in his top five. I think that was that's wild to see. I mean, he always has these adverse opinions to kind of the general media narrative. I think he also has Matt Corral as his QB1. We'll talk our QB rankings a little bit later today. All righty. Reminder that this podcast is brought to you by, sponsored by, presented by Manscaped, the only true guaranteed quality pickup. It's a new, it's a new read. It's a new read. Hey. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Mike Renner at the bars on Friday night. Just kidding. Manscaped, the leaders in below the waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough to run a sub 4340. This is sensational. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use code PFF at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. I'm going to look at the camera right now. Soft check, pull me in. If you shave below the waist and you are not using a Manscaped tool brought to you by Tailgate, I question you. I question you. The summer is coming, fast approaching. If you're not shaving below the waist with something that tailgate bought you for 20% off, I'm going to be upset. Because of their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make you you're cutting, make sure you're cutting the right players, not any per, important pieces of your D. Come on. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out here think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. The Weed Whacker nose and, ear, nose and Ear Hair Trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job here? April is draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Love to see that. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with manscaped.com. With the code PFF at manscaped.com. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. Wow. Impressive read. They continue to impress. That's one of the best reads they've done. I am a huge fan. On to our quarterback rankings. Can I give a high-level takeaway from going back and watching the quarterback film? And I want to explain my process. I want to give my, explain my process. Yeah. First thing I do, watch every single throw more than 10 yards in the field, more than 10 yards downfield. Then go back and watch all of his pressure dropbacks, watch all of his clean dropbacks, and then watch all of his non-throw dropbacks. So that's sacks, rushes, etc. Watching all of those. For all the like the top seven quarterbacks in this class, the quarterback class isn't good. And I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna again hit it home that the quarterback class is a lot of guys with flaws. Like they there isn't an overwhelmingly accurate quarterback in this class. I think if you had to highlight the most accurate, it's Kenny Pickett. But he's still not Joe Burrow levels. What Zach Wilson was, what Mac Jones was. These guys that were coming out that were like legitimately top one or two at their position in their season, their peak season in accuracy. Like Kenny Pickett's the most accurate, but not in the level that those others were. And there's guys that I think Ritter, Willis, and Howell are all in a similar, or no, yeah, uh, Willis, Howell, and Corral are all in a similar tier for me in terms of arm talent and accuracy concern, and then also concern with the offenses that they ran. And then as for Ritter, accuracy concerns, not the highest arm talent in the class, but he does have like a lot more of like, I feel like a safer projection with some of the stuff that he did at Cincinnati. I also think high-level takeaway, the receiving core Sam Howell worked with was awful. And yet it somehow might be the best of this group. Willis's was bad. Corral's was terrible. I think he had the most dropped air yards of any power five quarterback. And even Desmond Ritter outside of Alec Pierce, like it was rough, 
rough to see who he was throwing to, so it made the projections. I think Carson even... Strong probably had the best receiving core. Oh, you're right. Like, no, you're yeah. right. I was only looking at the top five. Maybe Carson Strong has the best receiving core. But still, like, it was slim pickings. Yeah. Seeing, like, the corral tape is loaded with just terrible receiver play. And I think everyone outside of Alec Pierce in Cincinnati was not consistently creating separation. And even with Alec Pierce, so much of his routes were the same you know, handful, right? It was nothing, nothing overwhelmingly special. But any, what were your high-level takeaways? Yeah, I, do, I do think it worth bears hammering home that this is not a great quarterback class. Yeah. But it bears hammering home that there's talent. Like, there's still physical ability for a lot of these guys. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that we're thinking, why is this not a great quarterback class? Why are we you know, sour on these guys? Um, is that they're playing in offenses that aren't conducive to translating to the NFL, and they're not playing elite football in those offenses. They're playing good, not great football in those offenses. Like Bryce Young, even shit, C.J. Stroud last year, grading out higher than these yeah. quarterbacks, putting up better numbers than these quarterbacks. So that's, that's why we're why you'd say you're sour. But that doesn't mean that it's impossible for these guys to develop. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a, a good chance that there are a number of – like I, I think there's a good chance Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter – and another guy from this class, our starters in the NFL, maybe for a long time. It's just where do the ceilings end up? Where are you chasing the ceilings of some of these guys? Because, and that's going to be reflected in my quarterback rankings a lot, is where I think these guys can end up because I don't want to chase just a starter in today's NFL. Mm-hmm. You can go trade a six-rounder for a starter in Baker Mayfield right now if you wanted just a starter mm-hmm. in today's NFL. You know, you got to chase a little bit higher end. Um, and so that's why I think you'll see some quarterbacks still go, though, because yeah. they're, they're, you, can, cause you can talk yourself into the high end of these guys. I, I think it's not – I think you had you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's not a quarterback class bereft of talent, right? There is arm talent. There is athleticism. Yeah. There is size in this class. What there isn't is a lot of really good quarterback play. And a lot of – and there isn't, full stop, a lot of accurate quarterbacks. Like Desmond – I mean, I think, like I said, Kenny Pickett's the most accurate, but I'm buying other quarterbacks and the tools that they have over Kenny Pickett going into the NFL. The way I have the quarterback class ranked right now, and then I think we spend time on each of the top few guys, I have Tier 1 by himself, not by a significant degree, but I do see him in a Tier 1, Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati. I think he, he is going to be my top quarterback in this class. And I think in other classes, I don't even think he's a top 3 or top 4 quarterback. Like, I, like, I, don't, I, I think he's the best quarterback in this class. And for me, a lot of it is not so much projecting the ceiling that he'll have in the NFL, but so much that, like, projecting anything, right? I feel most confident projecting anything with him. I think he has enough arm talent, he has enough athleticism, and he has a lot of experience, proven experience, you know, running more pro-style concepts. I don't think there is a pro-style offense in college football, at least with these quarterbacks, but he has a lot of more experience throwing, you know, digs over the middle and these different things, play-action concepts than some of these other guys. Tier two, I have Malik Willis of Liberty, at number two, behind Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell of UNC, and then Matt Corral of Ole Miss in this tier two. I think their arm talent is similar. I think Howell has a good arm. Corral has a really good release and can fire it in there. He doesn't, he's not very variable with his throws, and we'll talk more about Corral. But for, for Willis, I think he has the best arm talent, the best ceiling of that group. And I think that tier two is like chase the ceiling group. Tier three is the most accurate quarterback in this class, in my opinion. It's Kenny Pickett of Pittsburgh, but someone that I don't feel all that confident in being the best quarterback in this class, right? Like if I had to pick, I'm picking Kenny Pickett in three years' time, 
not to be the best quarterback in this class compared to these other guys. I, don't, I think maybe he's the better quarterback right now. He's in that Ritter tier of like playing good football already. But I'm, I'm, I'm buying into that tier two and obviously Desmond Ritter ahead of Kenny Pickett. And then tier four, I put Carson Strong and Bailey Zappi at the back end there. Carson Strong of Nevada and then Bailey Zappi uh, of Western Kentucky. That's how I have it right now. What are your quarterback rankings tiers in this 2022? I had the I tiers know. a little tighter. Only went three tiers deep. And I have Sam Howell and Malik Willis in tier one. To me, I think they have the downfield arm talent, the mobility in the pocket, the high end to their game to chase. That's worth chasing in the first round. That you could see a path to, you know, high again, high end quarterback play at the next level. Mm-hmm. Quarterback play that you that gets you, you know, two to three first rounders in return that you're seeing the top quarterbacks get. Not the, I guess, I was going to say Carson Wentz, but even he got you know second and third back in return. Uh, so that's the that's the tier one for me. The tier two is so tier one: Sam Howell, Malik Willis. Tier two: Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett. In that order, just in terms of guys who, I, I guess Corral doesn't fit in with the other two. We've talked about. Ritter and Pickett being, you know, probably the most NFL-ready guys in this class, operating from the pocket mainly in how they win. Um, and Corral, we'll get to him and <laughs> all the all the shit about that offense and how absurd it was when projecting the next level. Um, but to me, I, I just have enough question marks about Corral that I, I'm not putting him in that top tier just yet. Mm-hmm. And then the tier three is Carson Strong and Bailey Zappi, who like pass heavy. Small-time college football, not great competition, threw the ball all over the yard. Both have, you know, operated volume passing offenses and operated them at high levels. But whether it's, you know, performance under pressure, whether it's um, how they operate from the pocket, there's different question marks, big question marks to their game combined with all those other things I just said that, I wouldn't put them I'd, – I'd want to take them like, at some point, like maybe late third, fourth round. Mm-hmm. I'd be willing to pull the trigger on those guys, but I'm not going to use any sort of premium pick on them. Let's start with, as we break down each player, obviously with different rankings, I want to start with our consensus QB2, Malik Willis. Let's do it. In the class here, uh, starting with pros and cons, I'll kind of take the lead here. Some of the notes that I have, effortless arm strength, uh, can hit the deep out, the deep out with ease. I think especially from the opposite hash, can pepper the honey hole. A lot of this talks about just like explosive passer, explosive runner. Pepper the tough. honey hole. That tastes. That sounds like it tastes amazing. Yeah, you've never had pepper the honey hole. <laughs> he can pepper the honey hole, which is the you know the little shot in the cover two spot. Um, I, I also feel like he doesn't need a perfect pocket to release with fire because he's not super dependent on his feet. Uh, now the cons, I think a lot of okay, trying to high level these these strengths. Explosive, explosive with how he runs, explosive how the ball comes out of his hand. He can hit a lot of what you want to hit in the NFL. There's a lot of high end explosiveness in his game, both from an arm talent and an athleticism perspective. I feel like the timing feels late a lot with him. I also feel that uh, the accuracy is a legitimate concern. And I wrote three separate times. With timestamps, week seven, second quarter, 750. Week seven, third quarter, 1025. Um, week three, 1324. These different timestamps where I'm like, literally, what the fuck? Like, there are so many times where you look at it, you're watching his tape, and you're like, why did you at any point make that decision? 
Like a lot of boneheaded decisions um, on his tape. And I don't think it's some, I don't think they're overconfidence decisions, right? Like, oh, he thinks he can make all these throws. And there are just like, I didn't see that guy. You know, I just legitimately did not see that. I mean, a lot of his interceptions and a lot of his mistakes come in zone coverage when he's not seeing someone. Whereas with Kenny Pickett, I wrote a lot of his mistakes come in man coverage where like he doesn't have the arm talent to squeeze it into that tight window some of these times and guys are able to jump on balls and, and, and pick things off or make, make pass breakups. I don't think it's overconfidence issues with Malik Willis, but more so like, I won't call it laziness, but like just like legitimately not seeing the full part of the field or not seeing a defender breaking on the ball, or whatever it is. Strengths, explosive, and everything. Cons, I think a little bit, a little bit slow on the timing, a little bit late on some of these stuff, and then just a lot of some boneheaded calls. So I'll just add to that a touch in terms of his pros. I think the the running ability just has to be said with him. Yeah, ninety broken tackles last year. That was. I believe right behind Kenny Walker for the most broken tackles in college football. That that's not it's it's not even like what Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson like I guess avoided tackles, but it's even to a different degree in terms of what this guy is. He is a running back build with running back ability and suddenness in the short area that's special. So he, he is a special runner at the quarterback position. Make no doubt about that. Um, so that, that has to factor into his evaluation. And then he had 11% big-time throw rate this past year. That's the third highest we've ever graded behind Josh Allen and Rakeem Cato back at Marshall, back in the, back in the day, just heaving it deep. Um, so that's – you see the high end regularly. So the, the pros are obvious with him. And I also think it's a pro that he did make improvements in his footwork and sort of accuracy from 2020 to 2021. And now that's pretty late on in his career, and it was just an incremental – it didn't get fixed to a degree, but you saw improvement. So that's, that's a good starting point. And we'll say the cons, I'll also add 30.5 pressure sack conversion rate, one of the highest, I believe, that's top 10 in college football, of the bottom 10, in terms of that is one of the highest rates of creating, ter- converting pressure into sacks. And then I'll also add that he had probably the worst eyes of any of the quarterbacks at the top of this draft class in terms of he's not selling a safety or trying to take guys out of coverage windows at all. He is staring exactly where he wants the ball to go for the vast majority of And now some of it's that offense and a lot of like ISO routes where it doesn't matter if he's staring him down. Um, but he also, that's a part of his game that just isn't there at all. That some other guy, not everyone else in this class has to a massive degree. It's a difficult thing to master, but he was, for my money, the worst of all these guys. Um, ultimately, I wanted to also talk about what you feel the best case or best case scenario for his for him is in the NFL. Because I think with all these quarterbacks, and we spoke to like we don't love the quarterback class. There's not like a perfect quarterback mm-hmm. prospect. Situation is going to matter for every single one. Yeah. Where they go is going to be so so paramount. I mean, that's not a way how you express that, but it's going to be paramount to how much success they have in the NFL. What is the best case scenario, do you think, for Malik Willis? Because he's been considered an option to the Detroit Lions at number two overall, Carolina at six overall, Pittsburgh could look to trade up and grab him. What's the best case scenario for Malik Willis? I mean, I think Detroit, from just a pure landing spot perspective, would be the best. You, you're not throwing, you're not throwing him start your one with Jared Goff there. You have an offensive line that by the time he gets there is going to be very good still. Could even be better than it is right now if you add a guard into that mix. It's a good situation in terms of like the things we've said he is likely going to need to see at the next level. And so I think that's where I would lean for him as a hope. But again, it's number two overall TBD on if they're willing to pull the trigger that highly. I think the worst case scenario is obvious. Then it's Carolina. 
I think we've mentioned that multiple times. I think Detroit would be a good situation. I think Pittsburgh, the offensive line still isn't great, so like I would not call it a better situation than even Detroit is. Atlanta, not a good situation. One of the worst offensive lines in terms of pass protection, one of the worst receiving cores. I think they w- you should be looking to, if you're Malik Willis, trying to get to Detroit, maybe Pittsburgh after that, New Orleans, another option as well if they look to yeah, trade up. Yeah, I, w- I would love to be looking to get to the number two overall pick, too. Sometimes you're not quite as in control of that. No, no, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying if you're Malik Willis, you're hoping you land in that spot. Like, because I, I mean, some of that stuff is out of your control, right? Some of that stuff. It's is, literally all out of your control. Yeah, it's literally all out of your control. <laughs> uh, on to, let's go Sam Howell next. Yeah. Notes I had on Sam Howell. First note was, I really want to go back and watch the 2019 tape. And going back and watching the 2019 tape, you see the, a lot. The freshman year well, not, tape? No, no, 2020. 2020 tape where he graded a lot better and yeah. had more of an, you know, more, a better supporting cast with Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Deami Brown, et cetera. You saw a different quarterback. I mean, it was a different, different, different offense, essentially. And there's also, you know, people make jokes about Matt Corral's offense. UNC's offense is pretty damn gimmicky, too. A lot of RPOs. It was probably the worst in terms of projecting to the NFL. QB runs, not a lot of pro concepts, so many vertical lead throws. Like, I, I think you need both years of tape with Sam Howell to even see enough like projectable plays yeah. on his tape. There's so much of it is just like showing off he can throw a pretty deep ball. I saw someone questioning like his arm talent. He's got an arm. He's got an absolute howitzer. He can, you know, I think there's a throw on his tape from this past year where he throws it like 65 yards in the air. Like he has and can push it really far downfield. I think he had hit 59 miles per hour at the fastest throw in the NFL. The issue for me is it's a projection, right? And more, and why I have Desmond Ritter QB1 is because I do think he's versatile in like that, the, the types of offense you can put him in. Like with Sam Howell, like I don't know. Like you're going to want to – Make a very specific offense to what Sam, what you're going to do with Sam Howell. Like, I think you're going to want to leverage his athletic ability. You're going to want to leverage the fact that he led the Power Five and forced missed tackles this past year. You're going to want to like throw a lot of vertical reads, a lot of RPOs, and it's going to be an offense that's like limited, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Now, could he develop into someone that runs a more pro style offense? I hate that more pro style concept, sure. But right out of the gate, it's got to be kind of what you saw at UNC, and I don't know there are, there aren't a lot of offenses that run that, if not any mm-hmm. offenses that run that. So, pros for me for Howell, the, the deep ball. And it's not just go balls. We've talked about that offense a lot of go balls. But posts, digs, like he can drive throws, touch throws. He's the best downfield thrower of the football in this draft class. He, I don't think that's really – like Malik Willis has a better arm. But Howell's career pedigree is the best. And – 11.5 career average depth of target. Like, he attacks down the field in that offense. And also, like, his stats would look better if he didn't have a 9.1 career drop rate from his wide receivers, one of the highest uh, in the country over the past three years. So he's good down the football field. Now, North Carolina's offense has run over 40% of their offensive plays since he got to North Carolina have been RPOs. Oh offensive God. plays in general, all of them. So that's handoffs and passes, over 40% for his career. That's insane. That's no NFL offenses don't even hit like 10%. So he's going to be playing. We've said he's playing a different game, running a different thing than you'll do at the NFL level. He took a lot more. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest worry for his projection is he took a step back this year. Like when guys, you expect this career progression of like Madden rating of 79 this year, 84 next year, 90 the year after that. That was not his his career projection. Did not go like a Madden rating. It went up significantly. Freshman and sophomore year started high, went up, and then came crashing a little back down. 
His sack rate, pressure sack conversion rate, went from 22.9% in 2020 to 31.8%. He was running more than ever. Ran for 1,100 yards, but it's because he was taking sacks left and right because he just would not come off, uh, would get stuck on his first read, not come off. When he did come off, he'd have to run. So a lot of stuff that's going to have to change. But I just think from an ability standpoint, you see everything, at least on his tape. Like even the ability to work in the pocket, move from pressure, fire strikes under duress, getting hit, that sort of stuff that he's going to need to do. You've seen it already from him. It's just the offense he's in makes it difficult because you don't see it a lot. There should be more conversation. I think I said this on the Monday podcast. Mm. There should be more conversation around the closeness in terms of prospects between Malik Willis and Sam Howell. And there isn't. Like, there mm. is not. Like, Malik Willis is considered a lot to go in the top 10. He's minus 400 to be a top 10 pick, according to DraftKings Sportsbook. Sam Howell's not even in the conversation. Yeah. I don't think that should be the case. Like, it, you could have Malik Willis over Sam Howell, whatever. But, like, I don't think they're that far off. I have them in the same tier. You have them in the same tier. You even have him as your QB1. A lot of the similar pros and cons. Does he have the arm talent of Malik Willis? No, but it's up there. Does he have the athleticism of Malik Willis? No, but it's up there. Like, it's still, like, a threat. And um, the accuracy concerns. Like, he is not overwhelmingly accurate in this class. Like, he's very similar to Malik Willis in that, Malik Willis in that way. Last season, on throws of 10-plus air yards, so 10-plus yards downfield, the most accurate quarterback of the t- quarterbacks we're discussing today was Kenny Pickett. Tw- only 26% of his throws, 10-plus yards downfield, were uncatchable throws. Sam Howell, 36%. Malik Willis, 40%, which ranked 34th and 61st, respectively. There are concerns with accuracy down the field for Howell, and especially for Malik Willis, more so for Malik Willis. So I I definitely am going to be banging the table, not literally because I know the podcast listeners hate when I do that, literally banging the table for more conversation between Malik Willis and Sam Howell. I have Willis ahead of Howell, but it's way closer than it's being billed as, in my opinion, uh, among other quarterbacks. Let's talk now Ritter. We haven't talked Ritter yet. I want to wait on Corral. Ritter, QB1, pros, uh, projection. Like you, you can see a lot of these pro-style concepts that he ran at Cincinnati and him winning on those pro-style concepts. Play-action concepts, digs over the middle, like impressive, impressive pro-style throws. Guys, he also is like very variable with how he throws the football, in my opinion. Like It's not all just fireballs from Desmond Ritter. It's not all vertical leads from Desmond Ritter. He can do different things. Does he have the same arm talent as Howell or Corral or even or, or Willis? I don't think so. It's good, but it's not elite. You don't see the fire coming out of his hands like you do with Corral with the quick release that he has or sometimes with Willis. But he has enough arm talent to succeed, and that's evident in his success as a deep passer in Cincinnati. And I don't think it can be overstated how bad that receiving core was. And that offensive line wasn't good either. Like, he was dealing in a really difficult situation. And I thought he navigated pockets when they broke down among the best of any quarterback in this class. Like, he actually keeps his eyes downfield, wants to do more than run. And I think unlike Willis, right? Willis's sack-to-pressure conversion rate is so high because he thinks he can get out of anything. And he may, maybe can. He can get out of a lot of things. And then he wants to run the football because he is this insane athlete and explosive and all these things. With Ritter, he navigates the pocket when things start to break down, looking to make a play downfield. And I think I can buy into that uh, when projecting to the next level. QB1 in a weak quarterback class. Honestly, I don't – if you were – you know, throwing positional value out, probably won't draft him inside the top 20, but because of the need at quarterback, I think you ultimately see him do go in those first 20 picks. However, there are he's not, you know, he's not the consensus QB1, could be a day two player when it's all said and done. Who knows where the league is on Desmond Ritter? I think, one, he has a big arm. Mm-hmm. He, he does. He, he can 
sling it when he needs to. But I think his throwing motion is different than a lot of the other guys in this class, and that's longer, and he relies more on the length to get juice on the ball. So when he's tighter with it, you know, like Zach Wilson's like throwing motion looks the same no matter kind of like how he's to like what level he's attacking, whereas Ritter like will elongate for uh, farther throws down the football field. I think he has a little bit more of a – I think I've said this. like He just doesn't have a naturally tight release with the football, and that will lead to – and I think that leads to his accuracy issues, and that also leads to like he has balls flutter on him more mm-hmm. so than a lot of the other guys. Like he, he throws non-spirals. Probably, Not a lot of tight spirals on Probably him. more than – anyone else in this draft class, which I think those all go back to his throwing motion. Because, I mean, to put it 170 yards as pro day, he has the, the cannon to do it. But I think the biggest thing, if you're buying into anything with Ritter, is the year-on-year improvement. Like, every year, getting better, the drive, the off-field, the intangibles, all of that is what you're buying into with him. Because the, the, whole, like the athleticism and arm strength thing, I, I think, is almost – like the 40 and one I think is almost overblown. I don't think it's ever going to be his game. I think he's going to be a value add and maybe keeping that edge man on the line of scrimmage honest. But I don't think he's ever going to be a rushing threat. I don't even I don't think he's ever going to be like a breaking sort of baking the pocket outside the pocket like a Patrick Mahomes even mm-hmm. is as a threat to run or make plays. He's not a playmaker himself. He is a operator of the offense. And that's why I think he's more you know, this high-end athlete, whatever, you talk about that. But he reminds me more of like a Marcus Mariota where no one ever was really coming into a game scared yeah. of Marcus Mariota's legs. Mariota was a cop that I had in mind. I also really like Lance Zierlein's cop on NFL.com to Alex Smith because I think that's the type of game he plays yes, too, right? He plays is. a very similar game. But when, you know, you bring up that season with Tyreek Hill where Alex Smith was carving him up deep, right? I think there mm-hmm. are when, – when, when the opportunity presents itself, it's not like Desmond Ritter is conservative or can't make the throws, but he more consistently operates on the underneath. And he wins that way. Like, he – he was a winner, like first group of five team to go to the college football playoff, like one you know, went undefeated back to back seasons, like without that Georgia loss or excluding that Georgia loss, like a very impressive collegiate quarterback. And you, you, we didn't bring up a ton of off field with these guys, but everyone who talks about Desmond Ritter off field is high character, veteran, leader, all these different things, which obviously matters. I think more so at quarterback than a lot of the other positions mm-hmm. that we're discussing. Do you ultimately see him as a first rounder? Because I. I keep hearing different opinions there. Some people see he's like, oh, he doesn't get past the Saints at 18. He could go as high as 8 to the Atlanta Falcons. And then others are like, I'm not taking Ritter till day two. First, I'd really consider him as probably Dolphin, or excuse me, Lions, the back end of the first. That would be the first team I'd be like, maybe I'll pull the trigger mm-hmm. if I was the GM. Gotcha. Shall we talk Matt Corral? Matt Corral's tape is hilarious, in my opinion. It is – he's got such a quick release – you can almost see the fire coming off his hand when the ball comes out. It's it's not he's not a very variable thrower in my opinion. I don't you don't see a lot of touch throws on his tape, but that guy can fire it in there, and he does and he he does a good job with it. Now, so much of the offense is single read. So much of the offense is him just looking at one guy, an RPO heavy offense, and so much of it is also like very simple, right? Only reading one half of the field, and and it's hitting you know obvious open receivers. You don't see a lot of progressions, not by the fact that he can't do it, right? But I think Steven Ruiz of the Ringer brought this up. If you have a quarterback that's running so many RPOs and so many single-read type of things, reading on one half of the field, is that distrust from Lane Kiffin or more the offense that he's in? Like, that's, that's the question I think people I think will ask. I think that's the offense he's in. Yeah. And I, I think mean, even, even Mac Jones was running 20% RPOs this mm-hmm. last year at Bama. The Steve Sarkeesian called him, you know, the most gifted mental 
quarterback. Processor, yeah. Processor, you see at the quarterback position in college. 20% RPO. So that, that to me, is that's an overblown. But, I mean, I think you, this is the stuff that will come up in his – conversation though in his in his evaluation people will bring up the offense and oh he never you know he was never trusted to do this and all that stuff it's like just because you know you've brought this up before is one of the bigger learning moments in your draft analysis and that just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean he can't do it right just because he played in an rpo heavy offense doesn't mean he can't play in in, in a different style of offense i also you know in the cons i put our, i put one speed thrower and i think you do see the ball in harm's way more than you do some of these other quarterbacks some yolo balls on his tape but um the positive Calm under pressure. I think he handles pressure well. And I also think that his receivers were so bad. A lot of dropped air yards on tape last year. Was not not a lot of trust. Not a lot of guys that could also just like go and get it. I think with Alec Pierce in Cincinnati, in addition to be able to create separation down the field, he also would go and get it for Ritter a lot of the mm-hmm. times. And like that was not the case for Ole Miss this past year. You didn't see a lot of guys winning these big contested catch situations on a lot of just like plain old drops on his downfield tape. So with... Corral. I think the biggest worries to me are the offense and how I don't want to say easy it is, but sixty point four percent play action last year. Two hundred eighty five play action dropbacks. The most those were both the highest figures of any quarterback in the FBS. So it's not just like gimmicky by power five standards, it's gimmicky by like whole FBS standards. Um nine point five four yards per attempt on play action versus seven point three yards per attempt no play action. 37.0 grade under pressure. And now it's maybe one of his biggest pros is only nine turnover where they play is on 472 dropbacks, but that's that to me is the offense. That's that's what Lane Kiffin does is schemes up open throws. So you're not – I wouldn't expect a guy to have a lot of turnover where they play in that offense. I don't care who it is. So that has to be taken into account itself. He is a great athlete. Another guy in this class where you know he ran for 212 yards against Tennessee. He's a very natural – Mover like he's a guy who probably could have played baseball or basketball or whatever sport and still been productive and and a, and a collegiate athlete at whatever he wanted to do. That's just like the type of guy he is. But I do think the biggest worry to me comes back to that offense and then the inability to throw touch passes. Everything is one speed, and there's just not a lot of guys to the NFL level. Like early career, Aaron Rodgers probably like one of the only ones who get by on really just throwing lasers because he was so damn accurate and had such cannon that it took him a while to even start to work the middle of the field more and start to work touch passes more so than than he was early on in his career. And I just worry about a guy like that translating to the league when, especially at his size, he's not six foot six throwing lasers, six foot barely scraping six foot two trying to throw lasers over the middle field just sounds like a recipe for disaster at the NFL level. A lot of lasers over the middle field and even in contested catch situations. That's the other thing too, like with some of this like single read stuff and this RPO stuff where like the obvious read is there, like you see him firing the ball into closing windows, like rapidly closing windows. And as fast as those windows close in the SEC, they close a lot faster in the NFL. And like, that's Mm -hmm. why you're going to be projecting with Corral. You're going to be projecting with Howell, and you're going to be projecting with Willis, right? These are going to be different offenses that they play in in the NFL. It's like the tier, that tier two I have them in with the Willis-Howell-Corral tier, it's like you're going to have to play their game. And their game can be great. Like their game can be great, but you're going to have to cater an offense to their game. And what that looks like in the NFL, do you have the receiving talent to do it? Do you have an offensive coordinator that can go through that? Do you have an offensive line that can do that? We'll see. But you're going to have to play their game in the NFL until they obviously develop into situations that we just haven't seen yet with Howell Corral specifically, we just haven't seen yet. Time to talk 
KP, Kenny Pickett. High-level notes I have here. I, I like the throw power. I, I think you see some some good arm talent from Kenny Pickett. Like, I don't think... Some people are making, like, Burrow comparisons. I don't see the Burrow comparisons from an arm talent perspective. I think he has a better arm than what Burrow had. You saw some really good vertical lead throws. I think he, he can definitely hammer it downfield. He's also the most accurate downfield. Ranked second in the FBS in uncatchable throw rate, 10-plus yards downfield. Also, we're impressed with how he can reset and fire. Like, you saw that on his tape. This was an offense that was different to Howells and Corrals. Like, there was some reset ability for Pittsburgh in that offense. I think where I saw some concerns... Um, Ball can die in the air, especially down the field, like 20-plus, 30-plus yards. It wasn't like a Willis ball or a corral ball. There was, these aren't lasers here. Um, some picks and man coverage on some of those dead balls. The other thing, too, and this is a negative only from a projection standpoint, not a negative towards his evaluation, but the a- ACC defenses he played against were absolute cheeks. There were no no corners making yeah. that, that good of plays on the ball. It made Jordan Addison look like a phenomenal receiving talent. I'm not saying he's terrible, but like – these cornerbacks they were going against were so bad. A lot of open windows that he hit. And I think a lot of the errors, this is the last negative note I had on Kenny Pickett, were just a lot of the errors on throws he just can't make, right? Which is, shows up in some of the man coverage passes defense that he has and some of the interceptions he has against man coverage. They're, they're, they're tight windows that he's just not going to hit. Like he doesn't have the laser beam that some of the other guys have. But accurate can win downfield, good enough arm talent to push downfield, saw a lot of confidence on his tape, and now I think that comes with the experience and the age that Kenny Pickett has. Am I buying into this like, absurd ceiling? Not at all. I, I, I don't think he has the ceiling of a Hal Corral or Willis, but I am buying into the fact that like he is a, a very capable quarterback right now as one of the oldest quarterbacks that started in the FBS last year. Like Again, like you are seeing his rookie NFL season compared to what Sam Howell is and all that stuff, given his age and just how long he's been in college. Yeah, so he was very good last year, but I brought up the ACC shout-out, and I'll even go a step further. He put up over 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns against Georgia Tech, New Hampshire, and UMass, and those were his three highest-graded games. It's like that, that's bumping him up into that tier from a grading perspective that is looking like yes. it's better than the rest of these guys. But it's like, mm, it's not quite apples to apples. Turns 24 in June. That, that's something that has to be said. 3.19, time, 3.19 second time to throw is second highest in the country. I'm not going to harp on the hand size thing too much more, but... He yeah, I didn't bring hands. up hand size once. I, I, <laughs> hand size was not brought up once in the tape grade, right? The t- but, yeah. So to go back to the time to throw metric, it's been consistent over his career. Three over three seconds each of the last three seasons. He he is a guy that is looking to extend plays. He, but the thing that I like about him compared to a Malik Will, Sam Howell, who looked to extend plays, I think he has a better feel for where the pocket's collapsing from and escaping before that pressure gets home. He has a much lower pressure sack conversion rate than those guys. And he's a good athlete in his own right. Around four, six, seven as a pretty big dude. Like he can get out and move and will be a playmaker outside the pocket as well. So those are all pros in his sort of profile. Also, I'd say he's very good working the intermediate level. I think he can still work within the timing of an offense, even if I didn't think he was necessarily the crispest on that. I don't think he's a pure anticipation thrower. I think you see a lot of times he's a see-it-throw-it guy, and now he gets to the open guys a lot. He's very good at operating, was very good at operating that pit offense this past year. But I don't think you saw a lot of anticipation on his tape or a lot of just pure playmaking, I'm going to throw this guy to a spot to where only my guy's going to get it sort of plays on his tape that I think you got to do more of. That's something that's a skill that you got to see 
when projecting the NFL or got to have once you get to the NFL. So uh, I, I, I like him as an NFL quarterback. The thing with him is I just don't know kind of where his ceiling goes from here. Something I will say, even after having him in like this third tier in my quarterback rankings, QB5, I 100% can understand why some people have him as their QB1. Like I, I, there are a lot of things on his tape that are good, especially compared to some of these other quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Purely from throwing the receiver's leverage, you know, yeah. putting balls over the middle of the field with accuracy. Like you see this accuracy in this receiver leverage stuff that you're like, oh man, like I didn't see that on Corral's tape. I didn't see that on Willis's tape. I could be down on Kenny Pickett as my QB one. I think the reason I don't buy into that is that I just again, like I don't. You know, he doesn't have like the projectable traits to being an elite starter in the NFL. I don't know how much I I, I vibe with, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think. The comparison I've seen consistently is Derek Carr. I wouldn't even say he's that good. Like, I wouldn't even say he's Derek Carr levels of good as a deep ball thrower. Like, Derek Carr is a really good deep ball. And you saw that at Fresno State, and you've seen that in his NFL career. Mm-hmm. I like, again, I brought up Lance Deerline. This is my second time. But, like, he has a really good comparison, in my opinion, to, like, prime Andy Dalton. <laughs> like, and I think, like, Andy Dalton. Yeah, it's probably a better count. Andy Dalton does not have, like, did not have an insane arm, but it was a good arm. And he was accurate with the football. But, it, but it, not a lot of these projectable traits, again, that – Speak to like high end, high end NFL performance. Um, and Kenny Pickett, and Kenny Pickett's best years in the NFL would be in a situation where Andy Dalton's best years in the NFL. Good offensive line, really good receiving core, right? Like if you, <laughs> I like how you said that. That's kind of how everyone's best years. Go. No, I, I guess I guess where like you start to see like playoff caliber years, like playoff yeah, caliber if, years from Kenny Pickett. You're going to need a really good offensive line, and you're going to really need a really talented receiving core mm-hmm. to really make it work. And, and I think that comp, my comp, Sam Darnold. Just in terms of like physically reminds me a lot of Sam Darnold coming out is why I might be lower on Kenny Pickett than probably a lot of people. It's like I just want better than that yeah. in, in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's accurate, like whether it's just a guy who's more accurate than that, mm-hmm. whether it's a guy who has performed like that for more years at the collegiate level. Yeah. I don't know. I just I I think. I just worry about that high end, and it's like when, when there are quarterbacks out there, I keep going back to when you can go get a Baker Mayfield, we can go get these other guys. When there's quarterbacks available, why would I use a first-round pick on a guy that may never be better, like his ceiling might be Baker Mayfield? I don't just go get Baker Mayfield. It's Your like, confidence yeah. level in Kenny Pickett being good is probably really high compared to some of these other quarterbacks. Yeah. But your confidence level in him being elite is very low compared to some of these other quarterbacks. And you, people have to remember that when you're drafting a quarterback in the first round, hell, when you're drafting any quarterback at any point, yeah. you are not chasing good quarterbacks. You need to be chasing guys that can be elite quarterbacks. And if you don't see that or you don't have this high percentage confidence in him being an elite quarterback, but, oh, man, but he's so good. I could see him being this good quarterback. That's not worth it, right? You can find yourself yeah. in this purgatory where you're starting Andy Dalton and losing every single playoff game, right? Where you're, where you're yeah. even with Derek Carr, even with Kirk Cousins. Like, if you are buying into a quarterback that you feel really good hitting that, but not anything above it, you're almost better off, again, looking at other quarterbacks or addressing the position, a different position entirely. Last two quarterbacks to highlight Carson Strong of Nevada, Bailey Zappi of Western Kentucky. Really quickly, your thoughts on those two and, and where you ultimately feel like they go. Are they day two guys? Or do you see even some of those guys going to day three? Yes, Carson Strong has the bad knee. He's had it since. High school, his senior year. I think that's why he ended up going to Nevada. Um, so that's a thing that's going to have to get vetted. He may fall pretty far because of that. Um, no escape ability to begin with, so it's not really going to affect his game. And I think the biggest pros I see on his tape is he could push the ball outside the numbers very well. He actually had the highest grade on passes outside the numbers of any of the quarterbacks in this draft class. Um, 
And in that Nevada offense, it wasn't like we, we've talked about these gimmicky college offenses where it's put all on the quarterback. Um, whether it's Matt Corral with a 60% uh, play action, whether it's Sam Howell with insane rate of RPOs, whether it's um, Bailey Zappi, who we'll get to, and basically the three-man rushes he saw. Carson Strong was pretty much in a five-out drop-back passing game. It wasn't RPOs. It wasn't play action. He only ran play action 10% of his dropbacks last year, which was like one of the lowest rates of anyone in college football. It would be the lowest rate in the NFL next year if that's what he has. He's just running a five-out. He has to get the ball to the right spot. So from a projectable standpoint, I, like, I prefer that offense that he was in to teaching him concepts he'll need at the next level to, shit, anything Sam Howell did, anything Malik Willis did, anything Matt Corral did. So it, there's a lot on his tape to like in that perspective, and I think he has a good arm. I think I said push the ball outside the numbers well, but had a rough senior ball, is a statue. It's an offense that still is not asking him to do like under center stuff, to do normal things that he was, is going to be asked to do in the NFL. So you have that difference and I thought his pocket presence in terms of resetting his feet in the pocket and still making throws was not ideal and he played behind a fairly uh, solid Nevada offensive line where he wasn't under a ton of pressure but I like him there's lots like but he's probably a round like a late round three kind of guy there you have it there you have it the quarterback class Carson Strong Nevada Bailey Zappi wrapping it up any other quarterbacks EJ Perry of Brown do we want to get into more quarterbacks here oh, I didn't really talk Bailey Zappi Bailey Zappi I, I, I'm a fan of his to me he's not too dissimilar from Kenny Pickett in, in that I both think they can be starters in the NFL I just don't know how high the high end you're going to get from him and again only under pressure 12% of his dropbacks last year the lowest rate in college football one year of FBS performance, only a 75.9 pass ground, intermediate throws, a lot of screens, a lot of deep balls, kind of the offense that they were in, facing a lot of drop eight coverage, but still 48 big-time throws, has an NFL caliber arm for sure, not escapable, not mobile. There's, like I said, there's a lot to like on his tape, but a lot of negatives as well that just would worry me if I'm drafting the guy. I guess anywhere before late third, early fourth. The next segment we have here, delete the tweet. Do you have a delete the tweet prepared for today? Ooh, delete the tweet for today. I, I have a full delete the tweet bank at the end of at the end of this document. I didn't actually have one, but uh, let me see what I have in my bank of delete the tweets that I had. Here's sure mine. I sent out a tweet in December 11th, 2017. It's a gif of Derek Carr on third and seven throwing a hitch to Cordero Patterson, who was a receiver for the Raiders at one point, in a one-on-one situation on third and seven that's completely contested and a disaster. As Jared Cook streams wide open over the middle of the field. And that tweet, when I said, how the hell do you throw? How the hell? This was when Todd Downing was the coach. Mm-hmm. How does Todd Downing on third and seven feel that his best option, his first option, is Cordero Patterson isolated and one-on-one on a hitch on third and seven? Two, how does Derek Carr not move off of that when he's getting completely blanketed and hit Jared Cook over the middle, which has to be a second read in this offense moving right to left? That tweet, the reason I wanted to delete it, even though it's probably not wrong, is that's the tweet that got me blocked by Derek Carr. Oh, you got blocked by Derek Carr? Derek Carr blocked me after that tweet. I think Derek Carr blocked me as well. Let me go look. I said something about – no, actually, I don't think he did. No, I didn't think about it. He blocks a lot of people, though. He I'm does. Not blo- I'm not blocked by Big Ben's account or Big Ben fan account or whatever. 
You know how he blocks everyone? Are you blocked by Big Ben's fan account? I don't think I'm blocked by Big Ben's fan account. I'm he, cruising. Uh, he, he had his retirement, whatever, announcement on that. And, like, no one saw it because everyone that would have retweeted it or talked about it was already blocked. Wow. So Derek Carr blocked me for that tweet, and I don't disagree with it. Now, uh, I did also send out a tweet talking about Derek Carr as a trade candidate for the PFF's new trade simulator tool. No one's happy about that either. That was a joke. I'm not trading Derek Carr now that they have Devontae Adams. All right. Here's my delete tweet. And this one, I, I don't even I, – I still, I still maintain that this guy could have been good if he didn't get hurt. But mm-hmm. Ryan Glasgow, former Michigan defensive tackle, I said, Ryan Glasgow is criminally underrated. Dude wants to demolish the O-lineman in front of him every single snap. Can't coach what he has. He tore his ACL in year two. Never really was the same. Um, <laughs> got drafted by the hometown here, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, although I will say, he wasn't bad before that. But once he tore his ACL, he came back and couldn't even see the field. So Ryan Glasgow currently out of the NFL. His brother actually outlasted him. I believe they were twins. Maybe not necessarily twins, but his brother ends about lasting him. But I think Ryan Glasgow, let me look this up. His rookie year, yeah, he had a 69. So his second year, 92 snaps in, 84.1 overall grade Let's actually, go. before he tore his ACL. After a 65.5, actually a not bad rookie season with 69.5 run defense grade on 412 snaps. was actually seeing legit time. Hate to see it. Dude, had, dude, got a, dude is the, the rare person unable to recover from an ACL. It still, still hits. still hits, guys. Is that going to do it? We don't have a generational that's prospect gonna bracket. That's going to do it. You hate to see that. Mm-hmm. You hate to see that. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Next time, are we going running backs next? Yep. Wide receivers next? Running backs. Running backs next on the Tailgate pod as we continue to move forward on the NFL draft. Uh, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe, as I said. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate.